Fake Abortion Clinics, part three. Let's go. Welcome back to Fraudsters, everybody. I'm Cena Gazdavi at Cena Now on all social media. Justin Williams is here at Justin underscore Williams underscore comedy. And the wonderful and hilarious Ariel Lieti is with us as well. Part three, fake abortion clinics, guys. We're doing it again. What do you think? Can't you stop. Feeling? Won't stop. Neither will they. <laughs> yeah. It's like the worst tip of the glacier and then diving deep it's it's awful it keeps yeah my mental health has suffered from doing this podcast but (laughs) you know what wait can we do do a check-in can we do a check-in you're the (laughs) only person in this show that is like have has been on the edge of this right the tip of this i don't know what metaphor for to use well what i have been doing also is just being sure to spread my misery so i just tell any girl that i can I'm like, yo, did you know that? Fa-? Just out of nowhere, a lot of times. Like, you know those fake abortion clinics? And then we just get into the conversation. And uh, I, I definitely have spread the gospel to at least 10, 15 people this week. So I can see learning. that in the numbers. They learn we it have today. 12 listeners. The number- <laughs> yes, the, the numbers are here. It is wild when you t- I like, I've been drunk and talking about it. And then I'm just, and then it's just, you just hear me from across the yeah, room. Yeah, you're just, it sounds screaming. crazy. Yeah. It sounds like you're not making any sense and that, like, <laughs> yeah. you should probably go home. <laughs> but really, it's happening. And they're publicly funded. This episode, I think, will be even, it is haunting how this went down. This episode, we're going to talk about, you know, a little bit more about how they operate a little bit more about what has enabled them to operate so freely. And then this abortion reversal pill, which is is if like we just found out about fake abortion clinics. After that, I found out about the abortion reversal pill. So it's you. like it's a lot. Yeah, it's I mean, and the shit that they think you're you were going through, Ariel, before you had your procedure mm-hmm. is I mean, I want to say it's funny, but I don't think that's the right word. It's just there's no other way for me to describe how awful it is. It's 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 uh, there's some humor in there. <laughs> Time has passed. Yeah. I'm like this. Okay, I don't like that it's happening to other people right now. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's what's crazy. And it's like there's nothing. They just have carte blanche to be doing this. So we'll talk about the abortion reversal pill. And then I, I talked a lot about not going into like Supreme Court cases and stuff on the show. But there's one that Max kept referencing that we'll get into later as well. And then I ended up looking up and listening to the oral arguments on it and reading about it. And it was so much fun that no one wants to hear me talk about. But we have a podcast for that. So let's... uh Let's get into it. Justin, how have you been feeling about this? I just I want to check in with you, too. I'm setting up fake uh, pregnancy crisis centers. That's good. Oh. This is good. Where they're uh, so they're like, I go they come in for a faith based alternative to abortion. But then it's just an abortion clinic. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so it's like the scam within the scam within the scam. I yeah. thought you were saying you were going to name a show, the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and no, then yeah, just I do a stand up show. The PPP loans. Yeah. 
That will be my show. Yeah, I will do that. Crisis Pregnancy Center, and it will piggyback on all their analytics, but it'll just be me taping my special at Caveat on the Lower East Side. <laughs> a bunch, bunch of pregnant people in crisis. They're like, I guess I could use a laugh. Yeah, yeah. you guys need a laugh? Huh? <laughs> Don't bring your uncle. If I'm that funny, you know... You know, I've, I've, no, I can't do that. Go it. ahead. Do <laughs> it. Go, go ahead. Come on. I see where you're going. Come on. Please don't. It's so funny. I just... This is an audience full of pregnant women all holding their stomachs. <laughs> from laughing so hard. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Uh, this is part of the... I do not condone... Yeah, this is part of the demystifying and destigmatizing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yes, they're that pregnant before they go to a crisis. <laughs> yeah. In like nine months. <laughs> <laughs> just, just babies firing out at every punchline. <laughs> oh, this is the most man, pro-life so show dumb. in New York City. Okay. Oh, so, my God. So stupid. Then Gallagher closes it out. Okay. Yeah, you cannot be smashing watermelons. Oh, all right. This part oh, is being edited Lordy. out. Stop. Oh, God. <laughs> well, to continue our exploration of crisis pregnancy centers, Aaron Madsen is the co-founder and executive director of ReproAction. On their website, reproaction.org, you'll find a database of over 2,600 fake abortion clinics. I know we've talked about a number as high as 4,000. These are really hard to track, but they've managed to pull together a list of 2,600 of these places. Aaron joined us to talk more about what happens inside these clinics and a new potentially dangerous way of trying to reverse medical abortion. So I want to talk about the abortion reversal pill. I want to talk about these networks of CPCs that are out there. But one of the things we've been talking about as well is just the experience of going into one of these crisis pregnancy centers. And we've talked to some people that have been inside and they make you fill out all these forms. They capture health data. They show you these weird videos. But there's this concept of the ultrasound that keeps coming up. And I'm wondering if you could tell us where this idea originated from and how it became uh, such a critical part of CPCs trying to influence people that are seeking an abortion? Absolutely. That's a great question. So first and foremost, what the anti-abortion movement seeks to do is to humanize a pregnancy and not just at the stage of a fetus, but any uh, any stage in a pregnancy. And so there's a conviction, a deep conviction within the anti-abortion movement that if they show people graphic pictures, that it will somehow change hearts and minds. So that's one piece of it. Um, there's a separate piece, though, that I think is really important and, and particularly uh, based on the name of this podcast, Fraudsters and the types of things that you look at. That's really important to keep in mind that a number of states uh, that offer abortion care where it is still legal um, have mandatory ultrasound requirements. And so what you've got is these crisis pregnancy centers or anti-abortion fake clinics are trying to position themselves, A, as medical, but B, um, their dream is to really force anyone who's going to have an abortion to go through their doors first to receive an ultrasound service. Now, who is doing the ultrasounds? That's a great question. Some of the anti-abortion fake clinics do have medical people on staff, and they're getting a lot of money, so I anticipate they, they may hire some more. Um, but it could just be any old person um, putting jelly on the belly 
and uh, and saying things. I have personal contacts who've gone in before to crisis pregnancy centers um, and acted as if they were pregnant to see what they would say and have had uh, ultrasounds given to them when they were not pregnant and had someone tell them, you know, here's your baby. <gasps> so, I, this, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I can also say personally, um, that I've helped support these in the past. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I, I actually gave some urine, some pregnant urine that um, folks were using to be able to go in and. and oh, I like that move, Aaron. That's nice. Yeah, you want to come to my house for some pee? I'm happy to. Help. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I still got some stored for when my wife was pregnant. Don't ask me why. Um, so, <laughs> so. There, so this is a thing that they're using to influence and stuff. And then how did it spread? I mean, how how is this idea? Because, you know, we read about how Robert Pearson was this guy that originated the first one and then it kind of spread throughout. How did the ultrasound spread as this concept? Yeah, well, they're desperate to medicalize themselves and to be seen as medical authorities. And so um, and so that's something that they really want. And you see a lot of times in, in the in the advertisements that they put out, you know, need an ultrasound, come here. And so that's one way that they position themselves to the public to try to get people in, in the door. So it was a marketing ploy. Um, it's also a way that, you know, they can try to seek state dollars or uh, funding for providing so-called, you know, the service of the ultrasound. But really, most of all, you know, I like people just to take a step back. I like to explain to people that these crisis pregnancy centers or anti-abortion fake clinics, they are the conversion therapy arm of the anti-abortion movement, right? And so what they're trying to do is convert people. And uh, and so what they will do is they will put up this ultrasound. Then, you know, you may have the volunteer saying like, look, it's saying mommy to you right now Ooh. and waving at you. So it's really, you know, it's a lot of it is about uh, a, an attempt to put a guilt trip on people. And and, and preying on like, uh, like ignorance, right? Like, because it's like they don't know that you know, what, at whatever stage of the pregnancy, it doesn't like CGI look over at your eyes and go, mommy, no. <laughs> like that doesn't happen. That's <laughs> just so strange. Not unless if it's like the movies, right? And so <laughs> look who's that's, talking to. <laughs> look who's talking 10 weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it's, <laughs> so uh, you know, the, the also the idea that I think I'd love for you to talk about a little bit is the idea of networks. And your list on your website, reproaction.org, that lists these fake clinics, these are not all small nonprofits that are like mom and pop nonprofits, right? They're all part, they're all like McDonald's franchisee type clinics. Is that right? They're not all. There are some that are more like mom and pop, your church group, kind of your local independent spinoff. But there are a number of them, some of which that may present themselves as sort of the mom and pop local that are affiliated with these major networks that exist. So I can give you some examples of those. CareNet is a major network of anti-abortion fake clinics. Another one is Heartbeat International. Heartbeat International is a global enterprise that uh, is deeply entwined with right-wing causes around the globe. And so they operate the fake clinics. Heartbeat International actually took over the abortion pill reversal hotline. I know you want to talk about that later. So they're intertwined with that. There's Human Coalition. 
Human Coalition, I, we like to think of them as kind of the creepy big data arm oh, yeah. of the anti-abortion. You know, like they, they're like literally optimizing the paint color on the walls, um, trying to see what will make someone, um, what will convert them, right? And so again, back to that conversion therapy. There are other smaller groups, um, Obria Group, uh, NIFLA um, is another one. Um, and so, honestly, I expect we'll see an infusion of more groups arise because after Roe was overturned, the number one priority that the anti-abortion movement identified right away, and I'm, I'm literally quoting Marjorie Dannenfelser, the head of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, right after that decision came out, was increasing funding to anti-abortion pay clinics. So like the people who are causing the problem and the suffering of Roe being overturned are now positioning themselves as the solution, and they want state and federal largesse. They want money. Um, and so I expect we'll see the number of these places proliferate, including the chains. But yeah, so it's a mixture. Most folks, most of them, I would say, are have some kind of affiliation, but there are some that are more independent. And there's this idea of that a lot of them have as well that's kind of inside is the earn while you learn uh, concept of like, uh, and this is something that I've seen spread across a lot of different CPCs as well. So uh, one of the studies I read said that a lot of women that are coming to a CPC are actually going to carry their baby to term, like 80 percent. Like A lot of them are, are actually determined. They're just looking for maternity care or supplies and, and stuff like that. But they're being required to take these weird Bible classes or, or religious classes. Can you talk a little bit about that experience for people? Yeah. And just I want to start with a value here that no one should have to no one should be told that they're going to go to hell and that they're a total slut um, in order to receive diapers when their government is failing them, when there's not a social safety net in place. You know, we should as a society be providing people uh, with diapers, with clothing for their children, um, with whatever they need, with formula and providing that support. The problem is putting it, housing it inside this this place that's really intended to mislead and shame people seeking abortion care, that's intended to, uh, to frankly, be a place where anti-abortion and the right-wing movement more broadly can rake in public and private dollars um, to do who knows what. So um, specific to these classes, uh, let's talk about that. So there's really strange things. You know, people think sometimes they're like, oh, well, what's, what's wrong with going there for a pack of diapers? Well, first and foremost, no one should be shamed for needing to get their diapers and, and how they access them. Um, but someone should not have to attend religious indoctrination in order to get those, right? And so uh, should not receive inaccurate information about sexuality in exchange. Should not have to, sometimes, you know, you have these fake clinics are requiring people not just to give their personal information so they can be tracked, but sometimes to sign uh, contracts about their future behavior. And so that's oh. just, that's coercion. There's no other word for it. Wait, a con they make them sign, so to get a diaper, so get a pack of diapers, let's say, they will make them sign a form that says what? That they're not going to sin again? I don't I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I'm talking more broadly about getting services within the CPC. So that could be things like diapers or what have you. But yes, sign contracts saying that they won't have an abortion, for an example. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Max Carlisle uh, talked to us about that, that they'll, they'll force mm -hmm. people to sign. Oh, so strange. And then people aren't, you know, who reads these forms, right? You're They think you're at a medical clinic. Yeah. So let's earn while you learn. Um, 
Can we talk about, wait, you brought up NIFLA and Obria Group. I'd hate to I'd not talk about NIFLA because we're going to talk about the Supreme Court case. What can you tell me about NIFLA and I guess the ADF as well? They're kind of like in, in cahoots together a little bit. Oh, totally in cahoots. Yeah. So, um, so NIFLA actually, before we had the horrible Dobbs decision, there was a, there was a very bad decision on specific to anti-abortion fake clinics at the Supreme Court. And NIFLA was actually the named group in that case and ADF were their attorneys. So basically this case concerned the California's Reproductive Fact Act, which was like the most basic idea in the world, which was, okay, we're going to have these anti-abortion centers um, be required to post on their walls that they do not provide abortion um, services. And that, and that the ADF argued with for NIFLA was an infringement on their religious freedom and freedom of speech. And the Supreme Court agreed with that. So that law was struck down. It's incredibly unfortunate. So yes, the, there are a number of power players. And that's what I really want folks who are listening to understand. That yes, there may be people staffing these anti-abortion fake clinics who may be, in some cases, you know, volunteers for the community who who believe that they're um, providing a service or help. But this is deeply tied in with forces in this country, uh, the, kind of the right wing big money machine that is fighting abortion rights, that has declared outright war on transgender youth, that is anti-LGBT, that is against all causes that progressives may hold dear, right? And so it's an anti-democracy movement fundamentally. And uh, it's it's something for folks to keep in mind. It's not just volunteers at the local level they're interfacing with. Let's talk about the Obria group and the abortion reversal pill. And actually, before we even get to the Obria group, who originated the idea of the abortion reversal pill? And if you don't mind just explaining what is actually involved with the concept of an abortion reversal pill. Yeah. So, um, so there is a, uh, a physician, uh, Dr. George Delgado, who's based in California, who, who essentially came up with this theory of abortion pill reversal. And I use the term theory very intentionally because what it is, is an unproven experiment. It has not been subjected to peer reviewed studies. It has not gone through the process where anyone can be, you know, certain as to its efficacy as well as um, concerns that there may be with it. And unfortunately, another piece of it that makes this so unethical is that people who are being given this treatment or suggested this treatment, um, this experiment, they're not being told that they're experimented on. So that's like, I mean, that's really intense to like basically be experimenting on people to see if something works and not tell them that they're part of an experiment to present it as part of a treatment. But basically this idea is that, um, so abortion pills. So one of the primary ways that people take abortion pills, particularly if they get it through the medical system and not through self-managed abortion through their own routes, is first taking a pill called mifepristone and then taking some pills called misoprostol. And the idea of abortion pill reversal is that person who has taken the mifepristone but not yet the misoprostol, if they come in and give give this person hormones oh my gosh, it might reverse the abortion is kind of the theory about it. There's nothing to prove that there's actually any difference than just taking mifepristone first and then not taking misoprostol. But I, I want to point out that the real 
problem here is that it's meant to shame people seeking abortion uh, in the process of having abortion pills. It's meant to implant doubt about how abortion pills work. And now that we live in this post-Roe America where people increasingly fear being criminalized, it's intentionally targeting people who are taking medication abortion, maybe that they got outside of the medical system, and you want to give these guys your information? Do you really trust they're not going to turn you over to the cops? I mean, it's it's scary. Right, and a lot of times these clinics, these fake clinics are not regulated by HIPAA rules, right? Even though they are providing a medical, an ultrasound is a medical service. I mean, I think that's clear, but somehow they've avoided being held by by HIPAA rules, right? To keep everything private. Yeah, so they're medical when they want to be and when it doesn't <laughs> fit, fit there. I mean, that's basically what it is. These are guys who go to the costume shop, they get their white lab coats <laughs> and they hold themselves out as if they're you know, part of the medical community. Um, by the way, I should say about Dr. George Delgado, um, he used to trumpet his affiliation with a, a certain university in California. And I'm not even going to name their name because what they asked, they actually said to him, stop saying the name of our university in conjunction with you. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to do it for them. Um, but they like to hold themselves out there like they're, they're science, right? But then when it actually, when the rubber meets the road and it's protections for people, they're like, oh no, that's not us. Don't worry. HIPAA doesn't apply to us. So again, there's a lot of concern about data and privacy. And again, this is tied into a movement and, and elected officials and uh, members of the carceral system who are only too happy to put people in jail for pregnancy outcomes, for self-managed abortion. So it, it's scary. I don't trust them a lick. So when it comes to Dr. Delgado, what is striking to me is how is he able or how was he able to use this? It's not like he concocted a medicine. It's a hormone that you can kind of just get, right? I mean, you can't get it over the counter, obviously, but it's not like he's creating a medicine. It's just a hormone that is the baby growing hormone, right? That And you basically flood the pregnant person's body with this. Is, am mm-hmm. I uh, explaining that correctly? I mean, that's that's kind of the theory. Yeah, it's around progesterone. And I am not a doctor. So like, don't let me speculate. But let me just tell you, this whole thing freaks me out. Because yeah. first of all, you shouldn't be like injecting hormones into someone or applying hormones to someone. And when you're not medical, when you haven't, um, or even if you are medical, if this hasn't been subjected to study, like what is this going to do to a person? What could possible adverse consequences be? They're literally experimenting on people to find out what they might be. Um But, you know, another thing that I should just say that freaks me out as a non-medical person is sometimes these hormones are stored in peanut oil. Like, I'm just like a lay person here, but I just took a flight the other day and they told us, like, you know, nobody eat peanuts on the plane, like on the whole plane or someone could have a reaction. So I have questions about this. Right. So, again, it's like, what does it mean? Is it safe for people? Who knows? And is it is it not being regulated because the hormone is already available within the medical system? If this is just like a different application. Like, how is the government? Again, I've asked this question so many times, and, and it's just so perplexing that there's the government still fails at protecting people. But like, how is it that it's not being policed in, in, with this usage? I mean, all I got for that is head desk. Like, I, I. There's so many things where it makes no sense, but why they haven't been called on this is a great question, particularly when they're purporting to be medical providers. But, you know, I could also point that there's 
any number of things. I mean, think of all the multi-level marketing around essential oils and like what's happening there. And that's not regulated. Whoa, the fact whoa. that- We draw you know, the line at the MLMs, US, Aaron. We love our MLMs here at Fraud yes. Oh yeah, yeah, no, safe <laughs> word. And if you tell 14 friends. If you yeah, just- no, like- even just thinking about like the Food and Drug Administration, you know, like here, what a lot of people don't understand in the U.S., like our shampoo, if it's a global shampoo, they make a different formulation in the in the U.S. because there's literally more than a thousand carcinogens that are banned by the EU that are okay for U.S. products, and the manufacturers here like to put all the all the bad cheap things in the U.S. products. So I'm just saying like the U.S. is a regulatory nightmare in terms of this whole, I would never dare to call uh, what the anti-abortion movement is doing, quote, wellness. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of rotten things happening. And um, this is this is another one of them where it's just like, oh, my gosh, you're publicly announcing that you're doing this. And everybody knows this has been subject to no peer reviewed study. And what the heck? This is now escalated to not just this doctor that has distributed this and got other clinics to distribute this experimental use of this hormone, but the Obrea group is like a legal medical group now in California that was passed by several people that kind of like we're able to greenlight it. They, I can't remember, I have their names here. So, oh, Valerie Huber and Diane Foley, um, they helped approve the government funding for the Obrea Group to make it into an actual health clinic. And, you know, Valerie Huber had tried to gut funding for the teen pregnancy prevention program. Diane Foley worked for Life Network, which operates CPCs and pro-abstinence education program. These are government appointees that then created the legal framework that now greenlights Obria Group. And we talked about this when we were on with Max that we went on the Obria Group website and it is it looks like a real thing, but they're offering this abortion reversal pill. What the fuck? What are we supposed to do now that this stuff is like it's got the stamp of the government now? Yeah, I mean, like California is an interesting place, right? Because, for example, like the the California Board of Nursing is really influential and has been multiple times targeted by the anti-abortion movement to try to gain legitimacy for anti-abortion fake clinics. And that's something that I actually want to really underscore. Um, one of the things that they most want is to be seen as legitimate. So this is what they crave. And I really think the perfect uh, solution to it is sunlight. You know, like we're talking about it today, the more that we can talk about what is happening, um, the more that we can raise visibility on it. You know, even just yesterday, I was looking I was scrolling through Facebook absently and I saw an ad pop up for an anti-abortion pay clinic in my area and someone had commented on it. Bless them. Bless them. I like cheered out loud. It was like, wait, aren't you guys anti-abortion or something? I mean, we just got to call that out where we see it and make it clear what they're driving toward. But yeah, Obria, like they formed because they wanted, they fashioned themselves that they could replace Planned Parenthood. And they wanted to be like the anti-abortion answer to Planned Parenthood. Which is just an eye roll. Just unplanned parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, painful, yes. <laughs> so these CPCs outnumber abortion clinics right now. So the, the fact that the Obrea group exists means that these are only going to increase. Like, what are the stakes? What is like the landscape we're dealing with? And how, how, how bad is it right now? 
Yeah. Okay. So there's, um, so on our fake clinic database, we've got more than 2,600 anti-abortion fake clinics in the United States. They are in all 50 states. They are in communities across the board. And I, I want to talk a little bit about money because it's really important. So this is at the start of 2022. This is just the start of 2022. This is pre-Dobbs. This is pre-Roe falling. This is pre, you know, all of the intense attention that's put toward uh, funding them even more. The Associated Press found nearly 90 million or 89 million across a dozen states going to them out of state funds in um, fiscal year 2022. 10 years ago, that was 17 million in eight states. So see how that has ballooned. That is only going to expand when uh, Roe was overturned and Marjorie Danenfelser of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America said that getting more funding for anti-abortion fake clinics was the top priority for the anti-abortion movement. She cited Texas as the gold standard and Texas had just put in 100 million budget line item for anti-abortion fake clinics. The other thing I want to lift up about money, because this is just big, big, big money, the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy, which is a really cool group, they actually used our fake clinic database as a backbone to then go in and do some work, forensic accounting work and uh, looking up IRS forms. It was really difficult work from my understanding. You know, they try to hide. Not only do they try to use duplicitous names, which I'm sure you've already covered, like, oh, yeah, we call ourselves choices so that you think that we're an abortion provider. Um, They really hide the ball. And um, there are a number of entities that make it very hard to track down their 990s. But they did a sample of a thousand CPCs. So just to be clear, that's about if there's 2,600 That's like a chunk of them, you know, one out of 2.5, say, basically. They found $4 billion in revenue between 2015 and 2019, so over a five-year period. If that formula holds, like, so so that was for 1,000 of them. If you leg that out to roughly 2,600 in the United States, if, if that's, you know, a proportionate amount across the board, that would suggest... $10 $10 billion over that time period or $2 billion a year in revenue where, towards them. Where is that money coming from? Like how, what? Right. And so um, some of it is coming from, you know, and certainly this is, they uh, they want public funding for it, but they're also getting a number of yeah. philanthropic donations that are that are hard to ascertain in a number of instances. And so, yeah, I just want to be very clear. And, you know, going back when we first started talking, you were talking about mom and pop. I mean, does that sound like mom and pop to you? That sounds like big business to me. And then you get into the fact of like how many people are even going in these doors? Like what are they doing with this money? Right. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I mean, diapers can only cost a certain amount. You can't get like a zip code's worth of diapers for millions of dollars. I mean, I don't really understand what they could be spending it on. I think they are from, uh, according to Brian Fisher, when we were watching some of his stuff, they are putting a lot of production value into like their videos and stuff like that. So you could burn a lot of money doing that. And like, you know, disinformation campaigns cost money these days. It's pretty cheap, but you could, if you do it all over the country, I guess it adds up and those things, lordy. Right, right. Or your PR firms who are reaching out to repro action and offering to, to clear up any misunderstanding about why you're on our list, wow. your well-paid PR firm. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're spending money on things. Wow. 
Okay, so how can someone get involved and take part in trying to fight back against these CPCs? Yeah, first and foremost is educate yourself. You can check out um, ReproAction's fake clinic database at reproaction.org. We've also got an action toolkit for people in their communities. Get loud. I mean, if you see um, an anti-abortion fake clinic, name it. Whether that's Facebook ads that you're seeing, comment on it. If you're comfortable, if you want to hide your data from them, I totally understand. And also be an active and engaged public citizen. They are seeking a lot of public funding right now. And so folks can go for comment. We're also seeing a number of interesting efforts happening on college campuses and elsewhere where they're like literally trying to ban the CPCs from the campus, which is super interesting. So millions of ways that folks can take action and lots of ideas at reproaction.org. And of course, we're happy to help. Awesome. Aaron Matson. thank you so much for your time. That was fantastic. Yeah, appreciate you. And if, if you get a, a nasty letter from, you know, somebody's general counsel, happy to swap notes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> here, fingers crossed here at Fraudsters. We could use the uh, love, love to get sued. Um, <laughs> all right. So that was Aaron Madsen. I'm so happy and grateful that she was able to talk to us. But she mentioned this guy, Dr. George Delgado, and we wanted to look him up a little bit and get a vibe for who this guy was because he's the one that's created this abortion reversal pill, which is not necessarily a pill that you go and take that was created in a pharmaceutical laboratory. This is, again, just the hormone that they've now put together for women to take. So I found a clip of Dr. George Delgado. Now, there's a ton of stuff on the internet about him. First of all, he's not an OBGYN. He's a family physician. So I think that's your first flag. It's kind of like when the brain doctor gets into the foot business. You're like, great, you're, just because you're both MDs doesn't mean you're an expert in that. But the idea and the concept is very theoretical and on paper you would think makes logical sense, but we're gonna break down how in practice it actually is not necessarily very safe for women. But first, I want to introduce you both to Dr. George Delgado. Hello, I'm Dr. George Delgado of Steno Institute. Have you ever made a really big decision in your life and then changed your mind? Of course, we all have. Some women who start the medical abortion process change their minds and want a second chance at choice. What he said there, a lot of women have regrets, right? This idea of the regret, it's actually not true. 95% of women are good with their first decision yeah. on getting an abortion. Yeah, you can't equate that choice to like other choices that you regret. It's not like, oh, I should have bought that, you know, car in red instead of green. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, people uh, are pretty, uh, probably pretty sure about, you know, having a child. Buyer's remorse does not apply to reproductive health. Also, like once you get that pill, they tell you that's it. So make your decision, and then you're like, okay, I guess it's time to do the decision, yeah. and you do it. Yeah. The informed they, decision. You know there is no reversal. Yeah, you know there's no going back. You also sit and you talk to someone first. Like, there's, it's not just, like, they have Skittles out in the fucking lobby, and you're just grabbing them. Oh, my God. That'd be pretty sick, though. That'd be dope. That'd be dope. Yeah. And I just want everyone to know, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but this guy is just standing 
in just like <laughs> a tree. There's just like a tree, there, but there's like all this stuff. There's like it's not a set at all. It looks like you could have filmed this like impromptu on a camera phone in like a like a park somewhere. Yeah, he's at Branchbrook Park. Yeah, yeah, and and he just has like an easel with the logo of the Steno Institute. This is like I like I wouldn't purchase a car from this person if I saw this ad. Well, at first you do feel like, oh, this old man has my best interests at heart. But then at the other hand, you're like, oh, this man is the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's, it's, it quickly turns to like sinister very smile, quickly. Smile, smile, yeah. villain smile. Yeah. What exactly is a medical abortion? It's when a pregnant woman takes a drug called Mifepristone, also known as RU486, in order to end her pregnancy. About 48 hours later, she takes a second drug called misoprostol, also known as Cytotec, which causes the uterus to contract to expel the remains of the preborn baby. Preborn These baby. days in the United States, about 40% of all abortions are medical abortions. In Switzerland, it's up to 75%. Human rights violators, Switzerland, providing abortions for women. Those <laughs> monsters. Also is wrong. It's 24 hours. You take the second dose. Um, so it's not 48. So he makes it seem like that. That's a big deal to lie about because you're making it seem like there's a bigger window for me to be like, oh, I've changed my mind. Yeah. But really, you have just it's a simple 24 hour thing. Um, so he's lying about that. And also um, the medical one, instead of the actual procedure, you have to do within 10 weeks. And so. It just I don't know, that's. You have to do it before 10 weeks. And then they tell you, like, they sit you down and they tell you, like, if you do this too late, it won't work. So don't do it. Got it. So if you do the uh, the, the pill abortion, you have to do mm -hmm. it within 10 weeks. Before 10 of, weeks. And they even, 10 weeks. after seven weeks, they tell you not to do it. They're like, it probably won't work. So you could try it and it probably won't work. And then you'll have to come back here. Got it. If, you know, well, if it really doesn't good work. Now. And by don't work, I mean, like, it, it would still work, but you'd have to, like, get things removed from your body either way via procedure. So it's like... That's a thing. You're not telling yeah. the whole story by by yep. saying these things is, is what I'm saying. I, I like the idea of pre-born baby. I'm actually pre-married to Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Same. She don't know anything about it yet, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got... It'll happen. It's going to be 40 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Give me 10 weeks. Steno Institute is working very hard to make the reversal of medical abortions, also known as abortion pill rescue, more available and more effective. So far, we know that over 900 babies have been born after successful reversals of medical abortions. Our studies show that it's safe and effective. No, wait, 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 can we please? Did that number, that statistic is crazy. Nine hundred out of the out of the millions and millions. That's like that's like the chances of it happening are like Virgin Mary. And he tries to make it sound <laughs> like nine hundred is a lot. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, is that 900 is not even a number he uses consistently. I've seen other numbers where he says we've done over 2000 and twenty five hundred and all these other numbers that he throws over out. Over nine hundred. So two thousand could be true. Could yeah. be true. Over that's right. I should give him 3, the. 000. I should give him the benefit of the doubt. You're yeah. right. You're right. <laughs> He's a nice old man. It's so crazy. We know that there are no increased risk of birth defects, and no increased risk of premature births after the reversal of medical abortions. 
So I want to stop there. What's important, what he said there is like no increase in birth defects and uh, no increase in problems with the with the fetus and stuff like that. That feels like a uh, lie. But, but you know what's what's a problem with that is that we'll find out in a little bit is that he doesn't talk about the mom. Yeah, there may say not be birth defects, but the mom does die. So keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> the moms are dying, but no birth defects. So I feel like we got a win-win here. Yeah. The mom does grow an arm out of her forehead, but but the baby though, uh, baby's fine. Okay, so so I'm having you know, a, just... my problem with this is that he's too charismatic. Yeah, <laughs> this is the problem with all of these people. They're smiling. This yeah. is the thing. Yeah, it's bizarre. No, no, no. I, mean, I was making a joke. This guy, I wouldn't. Is... This guy is creepy as hell, dude. This so guy. I'm saying I'm scared. It's like sex this offenders, is... like energy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. This is how they operate. Okay. We need more scientific research. Why do we need more research? For three reasons. First of all, many women don't know about the availability of abortion pill rescue. Secondly, many doctors don't know about abortion pill rescue. And those that do are sometimes hesitant to recommend (laughs) it because they don't feel that that? there are enough studies already. (laughs) And thirdly, lawmakers and policymakers need more solid scientific foundation. Because unfortunately, these days, many times women who call abortion centers after starting their medical abortions, asking about the possibility of Wait, wait, wait. So lawmakers need more solid scientific foundation. We need more information. Usually you do the solid scientific information gathering process before you try to do it on a bunch of women. Before you bring it (laughs) to a human, like 900 women that are doing this fucking thing. Usually you do that before. And by the way... Uh, my brother's a doctor. They get these journals and shit all the time. These people are all nerds. They read their own shit all the time. They're all very well read. It's not like doctors are ignorant to this stuff. It's that they haven't actually gone through a proper test, an experiment, peer-reviewed study. Justin, you've talked about this kind of stuff all the time on the show. Yeah. Yeah, I also like the idea that, uh, you know, th- these highfalutin politicians like have you seen who's in congress now like this means that like marjorie taylor green was probably like i need actually more evidence before i take this to people <laughs> like louis gohmert is like you know i just don't think there's enough data here now now back to how joe biden is a pedophile from a spaceship <laughs> who call abortion centers after starting their medical abortions asking about the possibility of reversal are told that reversal is impossible, that it's not available. So these lawmakers are working hard to pass informed consent laws because women have the right to know that if they change their minds, there is the option of the second chance at choice. So help me help women have a second chance at choice. It's not too late to save a life. Learn more and donate at stenoinstitute.org. Second, the irony here of him saying a second chance at choice when his entire existence is built on taking away the first choice that a woman could have. What if I change my mind again and I want the pill reversal reversal? Can I do that? <laughs> is this an Uno game? I'm just I think a this- silly woman and I keep changing my mind. I need, I need, I need more options. We know there's a lot that goes into a decision that I that a emotional woman makes on a rounded abortion. <laughs> We're here to help you at the Steno Institute. Oh my God. So that is Dr. George Delgado. What a piece of shit. Wow. There's so many boring lectures he's done. 
But that yeah. was the most concise way that I wanted to share a little bit about Dr. GD. He tells on himself, though. He's like, a lot of people, yeah. when you mention my practice, say, I'm a doctor for 35 years and I've never heard of such a crazy thing. But the truth is. <laughs> the truth is, no, we haven't done a lot of research. Yes, we have been using women as guinea pigs for quite some time. What's yeah. the problem? I, I like how right wingers co-opt uh, left wing uh, language. Uh, but it just like makes no sense in ways that like, you know, it's just like if black lives matter, then what about white lives mattering? And it's like that makes no sense. Stop trying to like co-opt or they'll be like, uh, oh, well, if you're so pro-choice, why can't I choose to have abortion be illegal? <laughs> and you're like, are you having what? a stroke right now? What's wrong with you? <laughs> like. It, it's it's like I don't know. I'm sorry. It's just a very we live in a very weird moment right now where people only know how to communicate through talking points. So what he said makes sense to someone who just has no critical thinking skills. And and those talking points are disseminated throughout the culture of the pro life movement, right? It's disseminated, yeah. and now it is like actual information that they all use. It even gets into amicus briefs, into Supreme Court cases. So this yeah. uh, this narrative that women regret the abortion, which evidence shows, again, 95% of the women say they stand by their decision. So the 5% that have second thoughts, yes, that's, that's a fringe, but it's not enough to make public health policy around it. What's interesting here, Justin, and you talked about how they, they tell on themselves, these groups are not hiding. They're influencing through advocacy. They will write up amicus briefs to the Supreme Court that will be referenced in oral arguments. If you don't know what an amicus brief is, amicus it comes from the term amicus curiae. Uh, that means friend of the court. So these are briefs or you know reports, uh, studies. You know, think of it like a white paper getting sent in to influence yeah. the court, but in a very fair and balanced way. One of those was from the Susan B. Anthony Foundation that Aaron actually mentioned. Yeah. Grounded in this maternalist framing of female identity while acknowledging the lack of, quote, reliable data to measure the phenomenon, Justice Kennedy, writing for the majority, nonetheless asserted it was, quote, unexceptional to conclude that some women come to regret their choice to abort the infant life they once created and sustained. And that, quote, severe depression and loss of esteem can follow. So th this is like a Supreme Court justice saying, I believe that women regret these things and all these sad things can happen to them, which is a real effect, but I have no actual evidence of it. And this is yeah. taken straight from an amicus brief um, from the Susan B. Anthony mm -hmm. Foundation. They're like, bitches just seem sad afterward. And I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> They just seem a little perturbed after they go through this life-changing thing, and I can't figure it out. It's probably because they want to be mothers. Yeah. That'd be better. Yeah. That's what it is. I've got the solution. <laughs> They'd be better without a solid three and a half years of sleep. Yeah. No, I I, I think that what, what's it's also strikes at how that, you know, I don't I don't know whether I wouldn't consider Justice Kennedy necessarily like the left or whatever, you know, whatever we say, Democrats left, whatever, how there's always these centrist tendencies of like, I'll accept part of your premise that's entirely like unfounded uh, as part of my position in the ways that really a real left would be like, you know, we actually have this many we, we've actually documented this many margarita parties after abortions 
Yeah. Um, or even like if a guy, like let's say if I hooked up with a girl at the club and I was able to get an abortion because I didn't think I would wanted to raise a child with her. Do you know how many parties we'd have? There'd be no depression about it at all. Yeah. yeah. I love also the idea that like me having a baby I didn't want would make me happier. Like yeah. I get to like some some man, let's say it was a person at a party and this man doesn't know about it. I can't find him anywhere. And now I just have some kid that I have to take care of that the yeah. government's not helping me with. But I'm going to be much happier because I had this you kid. Much ha- oh, of course. Of yeah. course you want that. That's yeah. let me just let me just financial be, hardship. And I know what there's no formula for in the supermarket, but I'm going to yeah. be so much happier. And and the good thing, you know, what really makes uh, I think women happy is uh, because America's cultural treatment of single mothers is, of course, yes. legendarily respectful. So oh, good. the yeah, best. Uh, yeah, nobody. Yeah, espe- oh, and especially you know what you know who's super supportive of single mothers. Uh, it's actually the church that's against abortion. When you bring, as a single woman, you bring your child into that church. That's a judgment free zone in there. <laughs> not a not a side eye in those places. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, American College of the OBGYN, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they did uh, a couple experiments in this because people were talking about it. So you got to do a peer-reviewed study. But the problem is they could never get through an entire study. So in 2012, they had a case. They reported on six women who took mifepristone and then were administered varying degrees of progesterone. Four continued their pregnancy out of the six. So this was not scientific evidence that progesterone resulted in the continuation of those pregnancies because this study was not uh, supervised by an institutional review board. Justin, you know about that stuff. It wasn't supervised by an ethical review committee. Uh, It required uh, protecting the human research subjects, raising serious questions regarding the ethics and scientific validity of the results. And so that's what a lot of Dr. George Delgado is basing this stuff on. And then There was no control groups. It was just not a good study. It's not science. Okay. It's not. I want to know what happened to the other two girls. One of them is She-Hulk now. (laughs) (laughs) She glows in the dark at night. We can't figure out what that's about, but okay. So uh, then they did another one in 2020. And so this is what uh, we've heard people reference before. In 2020, they wanted to evaluate the idea of medication for abortion reversal. It was IRB approved, there was a control group, but the problem was it ended early due to safety concerns among the participants who were receiving progesterone for the abortion reversal pill. So here's what happened. They had 40 patients now, double blind, placebos, randomized trials, they had 44 to 63 days of gestation. So that's less than the 10 weeks that you were referring to, Ariel. And they had an ultrasound confirmed that there was cardiac activity, what some would call the heartbeat, right? But we know it's not a heartbeat. It is just cardiac activity, right? The whole heart is not formed there. Um, they took 200 milligrams of mif- mifepristone and then orally uh, progesterone at 400 milligrams or a placebo 24 hours later, twice daily for three days. They all were planning to have surgical abortions sometime later. So that's how they were able to do this. So even if it wasn't gonna work, they all intended on having a surgical abortion later. Here were the results. They enrolled patients from February to July, 2019 and stopped after 12 patients. So they wanted to get 40, but they only got to 12. And here's why. Severe 
hemorrhaging Mm -hmm. started happening to three of the patients. Wow. They had to be transported to the hospital via ambulance. One was from the progesterone and two were from the placebo. The conclusion of the study was that they couldn't estimate the efficacy of this and patients. And here's the biggest thing that I want people to take away from this study is that patients in early pregnancy who use only mifepristone, so the step one of the um, abortion pill, may be at high risk of significant hemorrhage if they are not taking the follow-up drugs in time. So you were talking about that 24 to 48 hours. Mm -hmm. What if it's four days? All of a sudden, bad things can start to happen potentially. You have a high risk of these things according to this study. So this is why I have such a problem with this whole, you have a second to think about it because if you really play this out, right? If a person goes and they have regret, let's say they're in that small group that has regret, you gotta act really quickly to get the progesterone in your body to reverse it or the risk of you hemorrhaging starts to climb significantly, according to this study. I don't think the regret exists. The regret is made up by this, um, their like best interest. And I'm only saying that because the act of like going to the center and then you're talking to people, all of this shit is happening. You had time to change your mind while you were sitting there for hours and hours cuz not uh, none of this is quick they they check on you they talk to you so i don't believe that the regret actually exists until you have pressured me with an abortion crisis center and you've said hey you're a bad person for doing this then i have pretend regret cuz you put it in my head but i don't think that this actually is a thing and they show you an ultrasound with a full yeah. grown eight year old that looks with over it. and goes, Mommy! Teeth, teeth and hair. Like, yeah. Like, I can make uh, it. <laughs> Miss, put these 3D glasses on for your ultrasound. Help yeah, me, Mama, I, help me. <laughs> it only exists in these fake centers because in a real yeah. center, that's not going to happen. You know, you know full and well, you've made the decision you're going there. Time is of the essence, all that good stuff. So you've already, choices have been made. You know, I, I have a production company and we do like client work. And I always joke that if like, you know, work when work's tough, if like ISIS came to us and was like, can you make a video? I'd be like, oh, the fire cage videos have good production value. Uh, but then I <laughs> no, think about no. these pe- these people that are actually producing these graphic videos that play in the crisis pregnancy <laughs> centers. And there's a producer who's working this thing, who's got to hire a crew, who's got to get a cameraman, who's got to get props, weird fetal props and stuff to, to, to make something dramatic happen and this idea of like producing all of this marketing material is also just frightening and disgusting yeah, the sway can only happen if i've been uh like taking in that kind of material if they found me on instagram like we talked about in a previous episode and and that those are my ads of the little fake baby yeah. that's saying mama and all that shit like then then i could be led to believe that you maybe changed your mind because you have been now coerced into thinking that, but like, no, (laughs) otherwise, no, it's not really possible. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Supreme court case that has enabled all of these crisis pregnancy centers to not only exist, but legally exist and get public funding from States and the governments. Welcome back. When we were talking to Max, she was mentioning the Supreme Court case that came up that 
really got the ball moving and the gave CPCs the legal cover they needed to operate. And I want to talk about that case, Nifla v. Becerra. But before we talk about that, it's a 2018 case. There's an earlier case that I want to talk to you guys about, too, because I think it really shows how crazy the country has gone in the last 30 years. And it's swung so far to the religious right. Now, we've talked about Texas a lot. We've made fun of Texas a lot here. God bless them. Uh, but in 1988, <laughs> the state of Texas, the mother and unborn baby care center of North Texas, was a case that really showed that there used to be reasonable people all over this country. In that case, a large number of women found the advertisements of the care center, this mother and unborn care of North Texas. What? They found the advertisements in the yellow pages, right? And they believed it to be an abortion clinic. The women contacted the center requesting an abortion. Okay, makes sense. These women were led to believe that the center was an abortion clinic. And so they made an appointment. Not true at all. When they got there, just like Max told us, this is 1988, by the way, guys, or rather the case was decided in 88, but this is 1986. When they got there, their personal medical information was gathered by the volunteers and they filled out a medical information card. Then they gave the women a urine sample to obtain a free pregnancy test as was advertised in the yellow pages. Okay, so uh, women are coming in, they're filling out a form. You think it's a med medical clinic at this point. You're even getting a free pregnancy test. So then they're told <laughs> over the phone and in person that the test results would take 30 minutes, which I know is not true. <laughs> and the women were expected to wait for the results. Now, what do you think this clinic did while these nice, vulnerable women were waiting for the results. They were led into another room by themselves where they were shown a slideshow and a videotape showing graphic pictures pertaining to abortion procedures. Yes. After the presentations, counselors came into the room to attempt to persuade the women against having an abortion. And so these women, they were there based on the fact that they went to the Yellow Pages and under the headings, right, the headings in the yellow pages were abortion information and services and clinics medical. So that's where this clinic advertised their services, which inherently is deceptive. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't get a bunch of uh, pregnant women together um, and then put them in a room and then just show them uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Well, I feel like this. If you're going to show me a video of uh, abortions happening, then also show me a video of the miracle of life. Let's get there that you go. underway. Yeah. Let's go. You can I, do them both. They were really horrible. Like, uh, I was at my son's birth. That's some horrible stuff. Yeah. Not great. <laughs> show me both. Do you hold the leg? Sides. Do you hold the leg, Justin? <laughs> huh? I did you hold not, a leg? I, I stood in a, like an opposite corner away from everything. Oh, I really? Said, this is, yeah, I, I don't like any of this. <laughs> oh, I was I was I just in want there, the baby man. cooked and done. I held no, the leg, man. I want him wiped off. Not the baby's leg. My wife's <laughs> <laughs> This is crazy in here. <laughs> uh so here's so here's what the yellow pages did when they found out about this was happening. Uh they moved them to abortion alternatives to a different heading. 
And so here's what the court said, all right? So they found in favor of these women that were suing because the state of Texas sued basically on behalf of these women against this care clinic for false advertising. And here's what the court used as evidence. They said, there's extensive evidence concerning a manual from the Pearson Foundation. Oh, so I love it. Robert Pearson rears his head. Here we go. And the the manual is called How to Start and Operate Your Own Pro-Life Outreach Crisis Pregnancy Center, which is the primary basis of the principles upon which the care clinic's corporation is founded. There is conflicting evidence as to the evasive methods in which the manual and the appellant's promote their purposes by attracting women seeking an abortion into the clinic. All right, the manual suggested and the clinic followed the procedure of incorporating under the name of Mother and Unborn Baby Care of North Texas, Inc., but operated under the name, ready? Problem Pregnancy Center. Pregnancy Problem Center. Oh, shit. Abortion Action Affiliates Problem Pregnancy Center. Say that three times fast. Man, what? Alliteration. The N-A-A-R-C-P-A. <laughs> so overall is a problem. Problem child the, one. That's the, problem <laughs> child two. Problem <laughs> child three. <laughs> That was their tagline. This is 1986 Texas, and they said, listen, this violates the Texas Deceptive Trade Practice and Consumer Protection Act. And when the care clinic was like, this violates our free speech, they were like, you are literally lying to women. This is why it doesn't violate your free speech. You are advertising in the yellow pages lying and being deceptive. And we have the manual that you literally used as your playbook. So that was 1986, Texas. 30 years later, Supreme Court, Nifla v. Becerra. This was decided by a 5-4 decision. Justice Thomas writes the majority. Breyer writes the dissent. And this is why the Supreme Court matters, guys. Five to four. That was it. Five to four. And this case basically was about California saw these CPCs and they said, we're going to have a disclosure law that says if you're a licensed or unlicensed clinic and you're a nonprofit, pretty much, you have to say if you do not provide abortion services, you need to disclose that. And there's a line that delineated between licensed and unlicensed. But PBS did a good job of kind of explaining this. So let me let me just have them talk about it real quick. The case before the court involves so-called crisis pregnancy centers. These are clinics run by anti-abortion groups and whether a California law can require those centers to more fully disclose what they are and what services they do and do not offer. Marsha Coyle was in the courtroom for today's arguments. She is chief Washington correspondent of the National Law Journal. Hi. Hi, how are you? Great, Um, so tell tell us a little bit more. What is this case all about? This is a First Amendment claim that was brought by an organization that represents many of these crisis pregnancy centers. And they are contending that under the First Amendment, uh, these notices uh, are amount to compelled speech, that they are being compelled to speak a message that is against their religious beliefs or their beliefs, period, about abortion. Uh, the law itself, uh, 
provides notice, would require them to provide notices of a range of services, not just abortion, family planning, contraception, prenatal care, and abortion services. Uh, they raised their challenge in the lower federal courts. They lost, and they are the one, the challengers who brought the case to the Supreme Court today for the oral arguments. So the law in California said that if, if, if someone walks into a crisis pregnancy center, which have been accused of, of sometimes misleading people. Yes. Sometimes accused of misleading. Sometimes. Now and again, I hear you're not giving the actual abortions. Is that true? You're not giving the bitches plan B? <laughs> the law says you have to say to people, we don't have medical doctors here. Or, or ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Tell them if you do want an abortion, there are services provided by the state of California. And that's what they object to. There are really two types of notices, one for unlicensed centers. They simply have to say that they are not licensed medical facilities and they have no licensed medical provider on the premises to supervise what they're doing. If you're a licensed center, then you have to provide a notice that says there are low-cost, free uh, family planning, abortion, prenatal care, contraception services available, and include a phone number that would allow the woman to access those services. 1-800-SLUT. So the state of California is saying this is just, in essence, truth in advertising, that if you walk into a center, you should know what you're getting when so, you go into that place. Absolutely. In fact, the state feels that it's filling a, an information gap. The state has been expanding its uh, health care services and uh, claims that there are a large number of low-income pregnant women who aren't uh, aware of the services that they can get for free or at low cost if, if they're eligible. Uh, they don't see this as targeting uh, crisis pre pregnancy centers, although the centers feel that they are being targeted. And what was your sense? So that that's super important that the that the state of California says we're just trying to inform women about the services, especially low income, vulnerable populations of the, all the different services that are available to them. And this is what's going to come back and bite California in the ass. And it's it kind of what is why I dived into it, because in the research, I found out that like they didn't make it about fighting fraud. Right. They didn't make it like you're lying. So we're going to make a law where you can't lie anymore. And that's where things get weird. Now, I don't know if anyone out there has listened to oral arguments from the Supreme Court. There's, uh, you know, a bunch. Uh, I don't know if I would if I wasn't a lawyer, but like it's pretty interesting. And it's kind of fun when you hear these people talk, because this is the only time you get to hear Supreme Court justices talk other than in their confirmation hearings. And. Our honey from the Bronx, Sotomayor, starts off her questioning by basically calling out these crisis pregnancy centers. And that's what's going on here. Counsel, can, can you please explain to me uh, what the difference is between the licensed and unlicensed in terms of the services? Certainly. Uh, and then I have a question based on that. But you seem to be basing your argument on the point that at least the unlicensed people are not providing procedures, correct? They're not providing any medical services. As well, they are advertising themselves. I looked at one, a few of them, and exemplary of is, is the Fallbrook Pregnancy Resource Center website. And it's, I'm fairly sophisticated. 
There's a woman on the homepage with a uniform that looks like a nurse's uniform in front of an ultrasound Wait, machine. I'm fairly sophisticated. I'm, there's <laughs> not, I mean, I know that is a, okay. yeah, <laughs> son of my horse. Like, I'm going to. I will fucking murder you. I'm a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I went to yeah, I went to Columbia Law School, so I'm hoping I can understand what <laughs> your website with the a woman and a lab coat yeah. means. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, it shows uh, an exam room. The text of the page titled "Abortion" says Fallbrook will educate clients about different abortion methods available and describe in medical terms different abortion procedures. The website also says clients will be evaluated by nurses and that they follow all HIPAA regulations, which if they're not a medical provider, they don't have to follow HIPAA. If a reasonable person could look at this website and think that you're giving medical advice, would the unlicensed notice be wrong? Your Honor, um, to answer the first part of your question, uh, our unlicensed facilities do not provide any medical services being defined as. But they do provide <laughs> medical advice. Well, they, they provide advice on the topic of pregnancy, which is basically. So let me ask you, how's that different? My hero. From what a doctor does. When you go in for a pregnancy, you see the doctor, and the doctor will describe hopefully, the benefits of a pregnancy and perhaps its risk. Because depending, um, not all pregnancies are without complications. So this is consulting about a medical condition. How is that any different than Casey? Okay, we don't need to talk about Casey. Casey is just like a disclosure thing where they made doctors inform women about all their options. That's what they're basing a lot of this on. But how great is it? Sotomayor is like, listen, I went to your fucking bullshit website and wow. it says clearly all over it that you're trying to operate as a medical clinic. But you're telling me, you're sitting here telling me, a sophisticated Supreme Court justice, that no, 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 we don't do any medical treatments. We don't provide a medical service. I and love she's how I'm just, surprised every time. Yeah. <laughs> but, because she was like, yeah, I went to the Fallbrook and it said there was a nurse on the cover and there's an ultrasound. And I'm like, oh, for real? <laughs> I, I am very gullible because I'm like, they can't possibly be. I just wanted to believe that it was like a website that's that's got more flowery language around it, you know, and like dancing around the subject of abortion. But she said like, yo, it's on here that we give medical advice and they do HIPAA and all this shit. I would be fooled. Yeah. And I'm not sophisticated. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I think we think you're. We think you're very sophisticated. <laughs> Thank very you so much. Oh my god. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, I had to laugh before I said that, but I think you're very <laughs> you did sophisticated. Laugh at first, but I'm gonna let you have that. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so, so this is how. So I, when I read this, I was like, I like jumped up, like just total lawyer nerd jump up. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. I gotta read the rest of this. Justice Kagan comes in and tries to help the state out. Now, that who the guy who you heard there was Michael Ferris. He's the lawyer for NIFLA, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. And so Kagan was talking to the state of California's lawyer who um, was defending the law in question for the disclosure. So here's Justice Kagan. 
And what you can also see here, guys, is that the Supreme Court, as much as everyone talks about the rule of law and the Constitution, they have their opinions and they would like to rule in the way that their frame of mind or their viewpoint of the world supports. And this just shows you Kagan was trying to help California out. Well, let me start with the question of what the problem is. And the problem is that the state has overseen, and the state legislature has overseen, an expansion of public medical care in California, uh, but has experienced that publicity campaigns invariably leave a gap that was highly concerning to them in the pregnancy context because of the medical issues and because of the severe timing constraints to get care that makes a difference. And uh, so the, the goal of the statute is to identify women who are seeking pregnancy care and appear unable to pay for it themselves or through insurance or public coverage they already have. That's why it's targeted at free clinics. Now, there was a reference to exemptions, and the exemption, leaving aside the exemption for federal clinics, which I think uh, is obvious, the exemption for Medi-Cal FPAC providers reflects that a notice would serve little purpose at a provider which already provides care under those programs and which has the incentive to I help mean, women enroll in them. One way to think about how a statute like this uh, gets enacted is to say we're, you know, we're really concerned that there are low-income women, don't have a lot of access to information, don't realize what all their options are, want to make sure in general and across the board that they get the best information that's available to them. Another way to think about what the problem is and how a statute like this comes about is more targeted. It's to say there are these crisis pregnancy centers all over California, and we know that women just go into them and they don't realize what they are, and they're being subject to uh, being misled, and we think that this is a terrible problem. And it might be that, you know, that the state could legitimately view that as a problem, as a much more targeted problem. Uh, Whether it's a problem or not, it's much more targeted than the first. And I guess what I'm asking is, is this the second kind of statute or is it the first kind of statute? It's the first kind of statute. And the author. Why did you say that? Why did you say it was the first kind of statute? The statute that didn't have to do with fraud. Why did you say it that way? This is the fucking whole point. California made a law that said, hey, stop lying. We're going to make you disclose that you're lying. And all of a sudden, they get to oral arguments and Joshua Klein, California Deputy Solicitor General, decided that's not a good leg for us to stand on. And we're going to try to find someone that wrote this law or someone to explain this to us down the road. But right now, we don't have that kind of time But I want to play one more clip from this oral argument, which should show you how California actually fucked this whole thing up. Right. They had it all ready to go where the court would have decided in their favor. And this should show you how this is Justice Ginsburg and Justice Gorsuch uh, talking to Joshua Klein, the California deputy state uh, deputy solicitor general. We don't know what ads these petitioners or NIFLA's members run. It's not in the complaint. And for a preliminary injunction, the court was not, and the language issue wasn't raised at all on preliminary injunction. So the court did not abuse its discretion uh, with respect to that. Um, what, what about, I mean, there were legislative fi- findings about uh, false and misleading representations. Did, has California uh, ever brought charges against any of these places for false and misleading 
advertising? Uh, I'm not aware that the state has. I believe that the city and county of San Francisco has, for instance. Uh, but in any case, that doesn't address the, the – such a procedure would not be superior. First – that kind of um, policing, that kind of uh, issue would not necessarily be more speech protective since it might involve undercover patients, record subpoenas, uh, site visits, and because the rest. it would have the virtue of um, applying evenly to all persons and all Gorsuch. industries and a law that is very familiar. I mean, anti-fraud provisions in commercial speech are well known and and don't pose any of the problems we've been discussing today. So why, why wouldn't that be a superior mechanism for addressing these concerns? If, if Wow. Oh, this, that killed me, guys. This is why we're talking about this, because it destroyed me. I couldn't believe it. Justice Gorsuch was like, if you just told us it was about fraud, then like you could have just made this a fraud statute across the board to everybody. It would have been fine. Yeah, would have been fine. Wow. Like, I get the spirit of the law where it was like, hey, these particular types of clinics are lying to women. Let's make a disclosure. But they painted it in such a way and did all this weird shit with it that gave all this ammunition to the conservatives on the court. Yeah. And even you could see Justice Kagan was like, let me give you an out. Just just I'm going to walk you with your I'm going to hold your hand. Yeah. And just just say the right answer. And they did it. And it shows you too, like Gorsuch too, like, you know, that's why I was thinking about, you know, interesting about the Supreme Court is, you know, how we listen, we're listening to this. Like he doesn't come across as kind of a partisan hack there in the way that, you know, during confirmation hearings, everybody just takes whatever side, you know, he's actually just, yeah, he's just like, hey, man, <laughs> trying to help you. Yeah. Even, even, <laughs> even, even I'm even I'm like trying to help you here. <laughs> so just make it an anti-fraud law, dude. <laughs> like it's like top like justice thomas is looking at him you know with the steven Django look <laughs> but gorse is just <laughs> Al- alito Yo. almost flips his uh table over but gorse is just like yeah dude you could probably just you know come on like just come on baby <laughs> so fam they decided this case five to four 2018 30 years later wow. the religious rights swing so far to the right and that's because they were organized right texas ruled 30 years previous that this is clearly deceptive advertising why this wasn't deceptive advertising again blows my fucking mind yeah i'm still confused as to why it's not <laughs> it's i agree oh we can't sell pink sauce in the streets but Abortion clinics can be fake. I, I'm confused. <laughs> pink, who's, who's trying to sell pink sauce in the street? Who's who struggle is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, so that is what gave the green light to all these CPCs to operate statewide. And one of the things we didn't talk about at all, which I'll just mention briefly, is that this is what enables them to get all the funding. So how, how do they get funded? Well, they get funded through these alternatives to abortion programs statewide. All these places can get money from the states. And look, this is what was happening in Iowa in 2021, three years after this NIFLA decision. Lawmakers are battling over another bill involving abortion. KCCI's Tommy Clark spoke with both sides of the issue. And Tommy, there is a lot to unpack here. There is. We have two understandings of one bill at odds. Now, Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa says House File 515 would fund, quote, 
fake health care centers. Meantime, Iowans for Life say it would establish pregnancy resource centers. The bill language says it would create a, quote, alternatives to abortion program. It says it would provide a holistic approach to support pregnant women considering abortion, among other services. Planned Parenthood says it would actually be an anti-abortion organization posing as a health care clinic, claiming that there's no legitimate requirements for accreditation, board certifications, or oversight. I did look at the bill, and according to it, the Department of Human Services would administer the program. Iowans for Life say the bill will help families in crisis by providing options other than abortion. Let's be clear. Abortion is not health care. And this bill... First of all, I don't even know how anyone could say that. How is abortion not health care? I, don't, I yeah. don't even know what 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 universe you could be from. Like getting a pregnancy Iowa, test. That's is, the universe. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not that you know, it's not that it's like uh, get like what is it then? Is it uh, professional yeah. sports? <laughs> is it recreation? I think that that's that's I mean what they're trying to get at that it's recreation that we do this shit for fun. Exactly. Well, yeah. They, well, they just Skittles bowl. they want to delegitimize it, right? And then delegitimize their crazy clinic where they're like, we just want to give women options to abortion, and you just go to one of these places, and then they take you into a room, and it's just Nick Cannon standing there, <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm like, okay, I'll have the baby. He'll be in. The, he'll be in my maternity shoot. Damn right, I'm going to have this baby. And this bill is an alternative to that. It's going to help families in crisis give them all the options that they need during this difficult decision that they have to make. These places don't provide birth control. They don't provide contraception. Um, They just use scare tactics, visuals, unsolicited ultrasound exams to intimidate and shame patients. Nearly $880,000 would come from the general fund of the state to make the program possible. Jesus. $880,000. So that yeah. It's a uh, it's it's pretty wild stuff. It's it's so funny how the right can just be whatever it wants when it wants to be cuz it's like this is just so yeah. much government welfare too. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's all government money. Yeah. It's it's crazy. But not for the child that will be born as a result of no. any of these clinics. <laughs> no. No. End of the day, that child's on its own. Yeah. Hope you learn how to do your own taxes, baby boy. At first, it's funny. You're like, yeah, you're like a beautiful mother providing life. Then you're like a a needy welfare mom that's trying to like suck the government dry. Like, where, yeah. when does that change happen? When does as that? As soon happen? as the baby is born. Yeah. <laughs> once it's not. Once it goes from an unborn to like an actual born. That's a born. Baby. A born, double born. No. Double a born. double born, double yeah. born study. Because you're born once at conception. We know that. That's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. You're born. Yes. You're a human. Immediately. You you at conception. The minute you, my dad came at that Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, that's when I, <laughs> that, that was that's when it. I was born. Justin made his first Reborn. joke. Right? He's like, <laughs> "What the?" Fu-? <laughs> I said, "Man, so, I just hit the egg, and man, uh, is my flagella tired?" <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's going on here? Give a shout out to all the other sperm that didn't get to fertilize the egg. Any zygotes in the house? You ever been a zygote? (laughs) So we're going to close up this series for now. But 
I think we're going to bring you more later because we, we couldn't cover everything. I mean, they're they're diverting funds from temporary assistance for needy families. TANF dollars are going into these CPCs. You've got ways they're getting money from like selling pro-life license plates that are being made by prisoners. Mm. There's all kinds of <laughs> other stuff we have. We <laughs> Pro-life <laughs> pro being made by an institution that has uh, become the world's greatest prison industrial complex uh, where rape <laughs> is like uh, allowed and there's no rehabilitation or education. Like you have prisoners ma- you know, making license plates about the virtues of life in that context. This is a sick society. Also, by the way, so notice, uh, notice the studies that have been put out that have shown that due to increased uh, social service, and funding, child poverty has actually went down drastically since the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Watch now that if we're diverting that funding into these crisis pregnancy centers, what, mm. keep a lookout for child poverty to start going up. Well, on that note, Wait. this shit was crazy. You what? should do a Chris Tucker to even this out because yeah, this yeah, dark. Even it this got out. dark real we fast. Wait, <laughs> wait, even it wait. Anyway... <laughs> 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 Oh God. <laughs> All right, just just to send everybody home feeling good uh, yeah. about this, because I know it's a very dark topic. It's a dark time. Pro, We've got a comment from pro-choice Chris Tucker here, people. Hey, man, it's me, pro-choice Chris Tucker, man. You got to abort that baby. It's your... <laughs> no, sorry, I can't. You're like Elmo a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, I can't say. <laughs> yeah, you listen to Elmo too I've much. been doing Elmo for my kid. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how about uh, uh, how about a message from pro-choice Elmo? Oh, that's fine. Okay, sure. I'll allow it. Elmo say women need good information to make choices. Okay. Elmo Jesus. say if you're not ready, don't have baby. <laughs> Elmo say abortion is healthcare. Oh. Elmo say oh, judge Lord. don't go to quack doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually right. more horrifying than hearing Chris yeah. Tucker do it, but it's okay. I think, yeah. <laughs> I hope they never put Elmo and Chris Tucker in real life in the same room together. I think and a it's black be hole episode hey, about man, gravity. You bad man, Elmo and Chris Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> wow. So this is just the start of season three of Fraudsters. You know, if you want to fight back, you know, use your own vigilante online tactics. You could do it anywhere in the world. All you got to do, find these places, go on reproaction.org, find out where they are doing Google reviews, call them out on social media, call them out as frauds if they are advertising as a medical clinic. These are the ways that you can upset the algorithm. Also, if someone you know experienced one of these crisis pregnancy centers, we want to know. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at FraudstersLPN. In the next series, we're going to take a look at campaign fraudsters. One is pretty obvious. We're going to talk about Donald Trump and how he has actually abused the trust of his supporters and taken their money. And we're also going to talk about Ted Cruz who, while it's not a fraud to be the least likable person in Congress, he was able to continue his streak by getting the Supreme Court to rule in his favor. And somehow there's even more money that can pour into campaigns. Big thanks to Aaron Madsen, co-founder and executive producer of ReproAction.org. And thanks to Max Carwell, programs director at Abortion Access Front.
This episode was produced by Carrie Budge, edited by Notalab. Thanks to our researcher, Demetrios Patelis. And this has been a production of Zero Cool and Last Podcast Network.